Good morning, everyone. I found it a huge challenge to be asked to speak to you this morning on the subject of prayer. I feel, I suspect, like many of you, that we don't know half of how we should pray, what we should be praying, what it means to be praying. And in this course of six sermons on the Lord's Prayer, um, we should be looking phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer, starting next week. So I can sit down now, no. (laughs) I've been asked to give an introduction to the Lord's Prayer and to couch it under the title, Why Pray? Why Pray? So before we start this, let's do just that. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much we need to know about what prayer means and what it means to be in communion with you and what we should be praying about and how we should be praying. And we ask that in these moments together, as the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray for his sake. Amen. This time last year at Holy Trinity, every member of the congregation had been asked what we thought we'd like to see as the church begins a new chapter under the next vicar. What are the greatest needs of the church? One of the four main needs identified was about prayer. It was, we long for a greater dependence on prayer. So today, as we're beginning a new sermon series on prayer, um, we shall be taking, as I said, a phrase from each um, section of the Lord's Prayer and seeking to learn what Jesus meant when he told his disciples how they should pray. But today... Why pray? And hence we've just prayed, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Why pray? St. Augustine had an answer. He said, because God made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And on page one of the Bible, we begin to realize why we should pray. Because in the story of creation, we begin to find the answer in the relationships we see there at the heart of creation. On page one, God himself is seen as three persons in relationship with each other. God the Son, God the Father, who brings the whole universe into being. God the Son, the Word of God, who is the active Word of God, became flesh in Jesus. He was the one who, when God said, 
let there be, and there was, he acted. And Paul in Colossians tells us that by him, by Jesus, the image of the invisible God, by him all things in heaven and earth were created. God, the Father of all, revealed to us in Jesus. And the very Spirit of God, who moved above the primeval waters and at Adam's creation, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, not just the oxygen that goes into our lungs, but the ruach, the Hebrew word which is ambiguous. It means two things. It means breath, wind, and it means spirit. So the very spirit of God is being breathed into us at creation through the Holy Spirit himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in relationship, in communion, in harmony with each other, delighting in the creation that was taking place. God, the Holy Trinity. And Jesus picks this up in John chapter 17, when through his cross, resurrection and ascension, we can enter, he says, that Trinity relationship. We can enter it. Did you know that? Jesus' prayer to his Father in John 17, 20 was that his disciples and those who believe in him down the centuries through the disciples' ministry, he said, you and me, that includes, who believe, he prays that we may be one, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me. This is the incredible bit. As you are in me and I in you, that they may also, you and me, may be in us. God has made us for relationship, not just with each other, not just with our family or our friends or those we know. He's made us for relationship with him. And that strikes me as a pretty good reason as to why we should pray. He longs for us to speak with him, to open our hearts to him, to tell him just how we feel and who we are. I don't often use the word awesome, especially in sermons. But I find this statement of Jesus, our great high priest, seated at the right hand of God, Jesus who pleads for us that we are in the Trinity through him. I find that truly awesome. I submit to you, this means that prayer is engaging in something rather more than just asking him for things. Especially when it comes to frustration in the high street and not being able to find a car parking place, or praying for a grandchild who clearly hasn't done any work, not my grandchild, I hasten to add, as he approaches A-levels, 
and please God, may he get a good grade to get him into X university. Prayer can include that sort of thing, but it's very small significance. Prayer is first acknowledging that through Jesus, the living word of God, we have access to the Father in the power of the Spirit. Not what I said, it's what St. Paul said. And for us, members of this parish church in Claygate, who describe ourselves as the church of the Holy Trinity, I pray but that by the end of this course of sermons together on what is prayer, how should we pray, what does the Lord's Prayer mean for us now today, I pray that this may be a transforming experience. You see, even in a fallen and broken world, through Christ, that relationship is potentially available for us to experience in prayer in the, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. It's mind-blowing. And it's there, wanting to be used. It's, I don't know if you're into computing, I'm just getting into computing. Um, but when you download something, it sits on your computer until you install it. And you don't even know that it's there until you click the button, which says install. And the thing says, do you want to make changes to your hard disk? And I say, oh yes. The Holy Spirit, if I could say this reverently, is already, already downloaded through Christ into us now. He's here amongst us this morning as a corporate group of people who worship Christ. And we have to install. We have to ask him. We have to approach him in humility to ask his help as we pray. I'd like to do two main things this morning. I'd like, first of all, to look at the setting of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, and then, as we finish, to look at how St. Paul in Romans, after a lifetime's meditation on prayer, explains the implications for us now. Those of you who were not following in your Bibles but following on the screen will realize that there was a bit of the prayer, uh, a bit of the reading for today which appeared on the screen though not um, being read. That's not Chris's fault, I hasten to add. Nothing to do with him at all. But I'd like to look at the setting of the Lord's Prayer first. And if you would help me by turning to uh, page 970 in your Bibles again and looking at verse 5, you'll be helping me and yourself as we seek to understand what Jesus is saying. The first thing he's saying in this preliminary paragraph before the Lord's Prayer is that when we pray, we leave self behind. When we pray, we leave self behind. The Sermon on the Mount is all about being different from the godless culture of the world around us. So Matthew 6, Jesus tells us what prayer is not. 
verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray so that they may be seen by others. Their prayer is centered on themselves, their own need for status and importance. They just as well might not have bothered. Jesus' words are chilling in their economy. They've prayed. They think they've prayed to God. They have their reward, Jesus said. Their prayer has been answered. They've got what they wanted. They wanted to be noticed. And as far as God is concerned, it was a waste of time. That's not how we should pray, Jesus says. Instead, he says, verse 6, we should go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's an opening of ourselves to God, bearing ourselves before him, telling him just what is on our hearts and minds. And more importantly, listening to what he has to say. When he says go into your private room and be alone, of course he's not saying we shouldn't pray as we already have in church this morning together. He's saying when we're praying, we're not thinking of other people and what they think. We're all praying, whether it's together in a group or singly in our homes or wherever. We're praying intimately to God and listening intimately to what he has to say. That's the first thing. It's not self-centered. The second thing to say is that it is God-centered. The prayer of, uh, that we come to now in the Lord's Prayer, from verses 9 to 13, is all about God, not much about us. It's in three parts. Look at the first part. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all to do with God. Centering our thoughts on who he is, creator, almighty, holy, the one who has sent his son to bring in his kingdom. And it ends with our relationship with God and how it can be deepened. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And tucked in the middle is that little phrase, for ourselves. Give us today our daily bread. What's the prayer mainly about? It's about our getting closer to God. It's about reminding ourselves of who he is, of being prepared to listen to him, to open himself as he reveals himself in his word and other ways and in the still, small voice which sometimes, and how precious it is when it happens, he will speak to us in the silence. And the third thing I want you to notice before we move on is the heart of the prayer in verse 10, are four words. Your will be done. That is the heart of all true prayer. It's right at the basis. 
And it was the dominating theme of Jesus' own life and ministry. I was amazed when I just looked up when he talked about your will being done. He said at the feeding of the 5,000, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's why I'm here. And again, on another occasion, he said, I said to them, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And in that wonderful prayer in John 17, he said, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Those are all Jesus' prayers. Right through to those dreadful words he spoke in Gethsemane after he pleaded with his Father God not to make him face the cross. Lord, he said, take this cup, this cup of agony and suffering, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And shot through the whole of the Lord's Prayer, the longing that your will may be done shines through every word and petition. Is that our longing, your longing for yourself? That in and through you, God's will may be done? That in all you think and do and say, in all your conversations with others, in all the choices you make, your will be done. Is my prayer life centered on who God is or what I lack? And is that our longing for Holy Trinity too? It's easy to relax back into being what seems so often to be a successful church, a growing church, one where everything goes right, except when there's somebody missing in the office. We want God's will to be done, whatever that means. Is our first prayer, Lord, what does that mean? is the prayer of the psalmist that God's glory may dwell in our village, that God's glory may dwell in our land. Is that the undergirding basis of my praying? How dependent are we on him for that? How dependent? And how much do we want to tell him about ourselves? I want to turn now to the passage we, Chris read from Romans, chapter 8. You'll find it on page 1135. Because here we see what Paul, after a lifetime's meditation and prayer, thinks is going on when Christians pray. We began by going back to Genesis and seeing that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit together created humankind in the image of God and made us, who are unique in the created order, for reasons we've seen, he made us capable of being responsible to him for, for it in close fellowship and relationship. Together in those pre-fall halcyon days, they walked with him in the garden, in the cool of the day. 
Jesus died so that through his love and grace, God could become one of us so that again we might be, as in the Eden Garden, one with him. Jesus died and rose again to secure a new status for all those who believe. And we can now be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven to enjoy something of that original relationship at creation. And this relationship will only be fully restored when Jesus comes again to establish a new heaven and a new earth. Until then, between the now and the not yet, we have access to the Father because of our being one with Christ. When he ascended to the right hand of God, he ascended there to sit on the right hand of God as our high priest, to take our feeble prayers and translate them into the language of heaven, to plead to his Father and to our Father on our behalf through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, that's been a rather heavy piece of theology. But I want to close by looking briefly at how St. Paul saw the outcomes after years of prayer and experience of living in fellowship with Christ. His prayer that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that wonderful prayer in Philippians, resonates through all he says in this passage. The whole of creation is here in this, in this passage. Look, at, look as, we, as we begin um, looking at this Romans passion, uh, passage. Um, that's verse 14. Verse 14 of chapter 8. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. The word in the Greek is adoption. We have been adopted into the family of God. And because of him, by him, through him, we cry, Abba, Daddy. Father, the most intimate word that you can find in that relationship. And then the Spirit comes in. What does the Spirit do? He himself testifies, verse 16, with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ. if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. How often do we say, Lord, take the suffering away? Do you remember those Chinese pastors that Philip came back from South Africa to tell us about in 2011? They said, please don't pray for us as persecution ratches up, which it's now doing big time. Please don't pray for us that we may be protected. Pray for us that we may be faithful and give glory to God. 
they understood what prayer is about. So going on to verse 22, there seems to be in the, in the rest of the passage an awful lot of groaning going on. Everybody seems to be groaning. Verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning since the fall, as, in the, as if in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. This groaning, this all that's wrong and so on, will go on until Christ returns. Until the kingdom which he begun is consummated, is finished, is completed, and he returns in glory to be with us in himself. And we ourselves are groaning too, verse 23. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've got glimpses of what it is to be in, in fellowship with God. There are those glorious times we can think back to when it's all been very real. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption. For in this hope we were saved. For what if we hope for what we don't have, we wait for it patiently. Verse 26. In the, verse, in the same day, the Spirit, same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. We think we do, but we don't know. Who's going to help us? who's living in us, who can do that. We have living in us when we bring our lives to Christ and he takes over. He gives us his spirit, his indwelling spirit. And he's seminal in our prayer life if we take it seriously, what is said here. And he groans too. He groans with words that cannot, uh, the words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The searcher of hearts, God Almighty, knows what the Spirit is thinking, and he takes the Spirit's taking our prayers and offering them up to the crown, to the throne of glory, to Jesus himself, who passes them on as the high priest to God himself. What a privilege to pray in that way. Through the grace and mercy of God, we can, as adopted sons and daughters, access God through Jesus in the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. So as we come week by week to look in detail at the Lord's Prayer and how this might happen, I hope you'll try to keep this big picture of our prayers to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll try to keep that picture in mind as we look at the rest of the prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father longs for us to approach him and to tell him everything, to share our deepest hopes and fears to plead with him that we may know him better and love him more so that we can, as Jesus promised, bring something of his glory into a dark and needy world. For three years at Lambeth 
palace. There has been in place the St. Anselm community, founded by the Archbishop soon after he moved in. It's a year out for 20, 30, 40 young people in their 20s, early 30s, who want to deepen their discipleship in a life of prayer and worship and fellowship and learning from God through his servants in that place. And just in the service for the third time that the, the commissioning took place, the, third, the end of the third year, was broadcast. And I listened to it with amazement. Justin Welby was preaching. He, he preached on that picture of Jesus in the synagogue at Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry, where he said, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. To do, in a word, the will of God. And at the end, the Archbishop told them, what for you has this year been about? At its heart it is this. My hope and prayer for you is that the one who made this proclamation, Jesus himself, the most powerful person who was and is and is to come, here clothed by the invisibility of humanity, I pray for you that his call might become your call and his cause your cause. Brothers and sisters, let's pray that for ourselves in this, in this series of prayer. Amen.